So Father, we, we just thank you for what you've been speaking to her about, about what to share. And we, we release your word to us and we pray that we have open ears to hear what you, you are saying to us today. Bless her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
The lion may grow weak and hungry, but those who look to the Lord have every good thing they need. And that's, so that was the, the hymn of thanksgiving. This is where he goes into more instruction. My children, come, listen to me. I will teach you to have respect for the Lord. Do you love life and want to see many good days? Then keep your tongues from speaking evil. Keep your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Look for peace and go after it. The Lord looks with favour on those who are godly. His ears are open to their cry. The Lord doesn't look with favour on those who do evil. He removes all memory from, of them from the earth. Godly people cry out and the Lord hears them. He saves them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to those whose hearts have been broken. He saves those whose spirits have been crushed. Anyone who does what is right may have many troubles, but the Lord saves him from all of them. The Lord watches over all of his bones, not one of them will be broken. Sinners will be killed by their own evil. The enemies of godly people will be judged. The Lord sets those who serve him free. No one who goes to him for safety will be judged. Amazing. This is the word of God. It's absolutely true and it's given to us in love. There's so much in there, isn't there? There's so much. I mean, you could pick one verse and probably take this whole psalm and do a whole sermon series over a whole year. There's so much in there. I love even just the beginning of it. I would extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. And that's just literally after he'd been fighting for his life, David. He'd been pretending to be insane. And he's, um, uh, but, and he's sort of done it by slightly dubious means, slightly kind of lying and faking his way out of, out of getting killed. And yet he's praising God at all times. But the main reason I picked this psalm and why it means so much to me is because of verse 5. And it says... Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And I love this verse, and it's been, it's been a really powerful verse in my life. And I, what I want to talk about today is walking free of shame and guilt and looking to Jesus so we can be radiant. And um, guilt or conviction, I think, is built into our conscience to let us know when, we've, when there's something wrong, something that threatens our connection with God. So guilt and conviction, I think, are a good thing. It's like, um, you know, on a, on a, you're driving along in a car, and suddenly a warning light flashes up on your car dashboard, and you're like, oh my goodness, what's that? And you, you look at what it is, whether it's the oil light, whatever it is, and you address that so that your car then doesn't blow up, basically, as you're going on the motorway. So it's, and I think guilt or conviction is a little bit like that warning light. It's God's way of kind of saying, hey, got a bit of an issue here, might need to look at. And it's a bit like a warning light, but if we address it, when, when that warning light comes on, we can do something about it, and it's quite simple. And... We, we don't often talk about confession, do we? I think sometimes it's often something that's talked about maybe more in the Catholic, Catholic tradition. And yet I think it's a really powerful part of our faith. I remember um, when I was younger, I was doing something that I knew was wrong. And to be honest, it was, it was like it was eating me up inside. Um, I wasn't talking to anybody about it. 
and it was all hidden. It was kind of totally under the radar of anything else we were going to church. I looked very good. And, um, but there was something going on where I wasn't talking about it. And I remember reading these verses from Psalm 32. And, have we got that? No. <coughs> um, so it said, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And I felt like that. I felt like I was wasting away inside. Um, I felt like there was something kind of eating me up. And I made the decision after reading that psalm to confess what I was doing to someone. Big step. Confess it to somebody, kind of... um, sort of removing that layer of hiddenness. And I still had to work through the consequences of what I'd done. That doesn't just disappear. But I, can't, I, I just can't begin to tell you the relief that came about because of that confession. Um, it had an effect on my, on my whole being, really, on my mind, on my body. The sort of the guilt was, was able to sort of be lifted off, which is incredible. Um, so God's gift of forgiveness is completely free it's incredible but it will cost you something to grab hold of it the gift of forgiveness I think it's, I think it's unique to the Christian faith I think it's one of the only thing, the only religions that gives you freedom and it gives you forgiveness it's incredible the fact that Jesus died to take the punishment for our sins is, is just an incredible premise but it doesn't, the cleansing, I guess the cleansing blood of Jesus, as it were, is available to everybody, but it doesn't mean that it automatically covers you. While Jesus paid a great price for your freedom, walking in it, it requires something from you. It says in 1 John 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Quite harsh. But our sins are forgiven and cleansed when we acknowledge them. So that's the first step. And it's, for me, I think it's actually really simple. I think that many Christians walk around with guilt simply because they just haven't confessed. They haven't confessed their sin, and they're hiding it, and they're denying it's a problem. And I think it's particularly true with sexual sin. I think it's just hidden and sort of swept under the carpet. And it's a bit like that warning light that I was talking about in your car again. The, the oil light may be on, and it might be warning you that it's low. And if you ignore it, you're in danger of you know, going on the motorway, suddenly everything blowing up. But there's an easy way of rectifying it, isn't there, with a car? You just get the oil can. Actually, no, that's not it. Apparently, it's simple. Um, Topping up the oil. Um, and, and I think that while confession is simple, it's, I'm not saying that it's easy. 
And it takes courage. It takes courage to admit that you're wrong. It takes courage to admit that you've, you've messed up. And I'm not saying that you don't have to deal with the consequences of what you've done, but the guilt, the guilt that weighs you down, that's the part that can completely go. And that, that's incredible. Uh, it's so freeing. When, when I decided to tell someone what was going on, I felt like such a weight had been lifted off me. And the knowledge that God had given me was incredible. So that's the first step, confession. Confess your sins. And it might be today that people here have kind of got stuff sort of eating them up inside, that it's like lurking around, that it's hidden. And I just encourage you today, be, be bold. Be bold, be transparent, and enter into the forgiveness that Jesus freely gives you. So I believe that conviction and guilt, they come from God to highlight to us the need to confess and repent. I think guilt says, like, I did something wrong, I did something bad, and guilt is about what we've done. And we, like I said, we have, we have an incredibly simple, simple answer to this. We need to confess, and then we're forgiven. Amazing. That sets us apart from any other religion. The fact that we can be forgiven and cleansed. It's incredibly good news. But I think that shame goes further than this. I think that shame speaks to who we are. And shame is this kind of sense of feeling unworthy. And it's like it's a core sort of, sometimes even subconscious belief of unworthiness. And so shame might say, I'm wrong, I'm bad, I'm unworthy, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, who do you think you are? And I, I've felt for a number of weeks now to, to talk on shame and to talk on this passage from Psalm 34. And I, so I don't know whether, I'd imagine when God kind of points the finger like that, there are people here that are kind of feeling that sense of shame and that sense of unworthiness and that sense of just this cloud over you of I'm not enough, I'm not good enough. And I want to give you three top tips Three top tips, every, every good freak has uh, one or two or three top, top tips, don't they? So, number one is learn to be vulnerable. <laughs> learn to be vulnerable. Um, I don't know whether many of you have heard of a lady called Brené Brown. Anyone heard of her? Yeah. Okay, so she's done a TED talk, um, and she, I think it's one of the most watched TED talks of all times on vulnerability and shame. And she's an incredible woman. She has three PhDs, she's a social scientist, and she did a six-year study on what is the core need of all humanity. And she began by asking this question, is there one thing all humans have in common as far as a common need? And after several years of research, she interviewed thousands of people from all walks of life, all different countries, different ethnicities, male and female, she learned that every single person in the world is bioneurologically wired for connection. And I, I, think this is, I think this is right. I think she started off this study not a Christian, and by the end of it she was, interestingly. So she said that bio, people are bioneurologically wired for connection. When I was practicing this, I couldn't say that, so I'm quite pleased. Um, in other words, so the core need of every human being is to feel connected or feel like they belong. And I think every single human being has this inherent desire to feel part of something, to feel connected and feel like they belong somewhere. 
And then, so then she asked a question, okay, so if everyone is neurologically wired to feel connection, what's the greatest enemy of connection? And she learned that the number one enemy of connection is shame. Interesting. And again, she defines shame, but like what we were saying here, she defines shame as this. Conviction says you did something wrong, but shame says you are something wrong. And whatever the environment that you're in values, you may fear that you're not. For example, in a church setting, it could be, oh, I'm not spiritual enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't read my Bible enough, I don't know Jesus enough. And I'm afraid that actually if you got to know me, I'd be exposed to faith. That's what kind of goes on. And I think whatever our culture values, we have this intense fear that I'm going to be discovered as a faith, and therefore I never make connection because I fear that I'm going to be exposed. And she says that everyone in the world has experienced shame at some point. And for me, I know that's true. Anybody else? Have you ever had the fear that you're not enough? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, great. Um, So she surveyed two types of people, and she said the people that stayed in shame, sorry, the people that stayed in shame, and the people that have walked out of shame. And she interviewed these two groups of people, and for another five years she studied them and said that everyone who came out of shame had this one thing in common. They were all vulnerable. So vulnerability, she said, it's the ability to be seen and known. And vulnerability breaks the power of shame. It's, it's the vulnerability that says, I love you, before I wait for you to say, I, you love me. And then she said, okay, why do people not get vulnerable? If I want to get connected, and shame is disconnecting me, and vulnerability breaks shame, why don't I become vulnerable? And everyone who became vulnerable, they had a sense of worthiness in their very souls. And even though they felt shame, they knew deep down that they were worthy. And you and I, I think, would probably say we are deeply loved, we are deeply sought after by the Lord. And she said that everyone who had a sense of worthiness and came out of shame had this other factor, which was courage. And courage comes from the Latin word cur, which means heart. And it means to tell your story with your whole heart. So in other words, everyone who came out of shame was vulnerable, they had a sense of worthiness, and they were courageous. And then she said this last thing, that everyone who was able to tell their story with their whole heart had this last thing, which was the characteristic called authenticity. And it's, this is this phrase I love. It's the ability to let go of who you think you should be to be who you really are. The ability to let go of who you think you should be to be who you really are. Really powerful. And she says, what makes you vulnerable makes you beautiful. And my, so my experience is that shame loves secrecy. It loves it. It thrives on it. It's what feeds it. It's what gives it legs. And the Bible talks about the truth sets us free. The truth sets us free. And being open and honest, it requires great risk, doesn't it? But it also reaps great reward. And so I would just say, begin with yourself, be honest with yourself, be honest with God, and then talk to somebody else as well. Telling somebody else that we've been listening to shame 
it releases us from the power of secrecy and it silences shame. And I've seen that time and time again. With When people come to me and they, they can't almost look at me in the face because of something they've done or something that they're feeling, and as they get it out, they realise actually it's not such a big deal. It's so, it's so transformative to suddenly you'd be like, oh, that's not such a big deal. When it's going round and round in your head, there's all these lies, there's all these things going on, and when you talk to somebody about it, it breaks something. It silences shame. Okay, number two. <laughs> Learn to take every thought captive. I think we're all tempted to, to believe and act in negative, hurtful, dysfunctional ways um, to the shame messages that have been spoken to us. And again, shame is silenced when we take ownership of our mistakes, when we accept our limitations and deficiencies. And I think taking responsibility in submitting shaming thoughts and feelings to becoming obedient to Christ's perspective. There's that verse in 2 Corinthians 10, it says, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And this is where the battle is. I don't know, whether, I don't know about you, this is, um, this is like, uh, it doesn't come easy doing this. If you've had shame thoughts going through your, your mind all your life, to break the power of that is a battle. And this, it, it, this, ba this battle to silence the lies and to believe the truth, it's, it's a full-on battle. After, I, what I was talking about earlier, after I confessed my wrongdoing to someone and I was forgiven, this was where the lies and the accusations crept in. If people really knew what I'd done, would they like me? Would I ever be able to plant a church at some point? Am I really forgiven? Can I really walk with my head held high? Can I, I must be such a bad person to do what I did. And these lies are the things that cripple you. So if you've confessed your sin and you know you're forgiven, these lies of unworthiness and shame, they're the ones that can come in and make you feel like a hypocrite. And that's that voice that can come, come, come in and be like, yeah, but what about that? What about that? whether anybody else kind of experienced that, but that's the sort of thing that just makes you want to keep under the radar, not volunteer to do anything, not be out in the public eye, not wanting to tell people about Jesus, because inside you think, well, I'm just a fool. And that's where the battle is. And I, I want to challenge you just to be asking God all the time, is what I'm hearing internally, is it a truth? Is it the truth or is it a lie? And just even start journaling some of those things as well. Try, try writing down all the time that shame speaks to you. And I think you'd probably be surprised how much some of those patterns are going on. So I would say, I, I do life coaching, I would say that 50% of changing something is, is awareness. Once you're aware of something, you can change it. And I'd just say, become aware of what you're thinking about. That's where the change will start to happen. Okay, third one. So we've got be vulnerable, take every thought captive, and the last one is learn to be grateful. Um, I think we, we have a high value for thankfulness and gratefulness in this church. I think 
Steve talked about it last week, that thanksgiving is often the key to breakthrough. And I think sometimes in society, I think in British society, we can be quite um, negative and uh, naturally kind of putting down things, looking for the moaning, looking for the um, what's not going right rather than what is going right. And our American friends are so much better at this than, than we are, I think. Um, but first of all, the fact is, in Psalm 139, it says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's the fact, that's the truth. And being grateful for how God has made you in all of your limitations and imperfections, it will help you to replace shame with acceptance and love. So when you're starting to feel like those lies of shame and love, replace it with gratitude for who God has made you to be. Every time you hear like those shame messages left on your mental voicemail, erase them with gratitude. That's the way to do it. Thankfulness prepares the way for breakthrough. And that verse that we read right at the beginning, those who look to him are radiant, their faces are never covered with shame. And this is what I love. We get to take our eyes off ourselves. It's not about us. How great is that? It's not about us. I love telling that to people sometimes. It's not about you. <laughs> and we realise that actually it's not about our shortcomings at all. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about how perfect he is. Our shame and unworthiness is completely eradicated because of him dying on the cross for us. It's not about, it's not about you. It's not about how rubbish you are and how imperfect you are. He died on the cross for your imperfectness. That's why he died. And feeling guilty or shameful, it does nothing to bring um, pleasure to God. It doesn't earn you favour with God. I think some people feel like they have to be, oh, woe is me, before you come to God. It does nothing to bring glory to God. God responds to an honest, a broken and a contrite heart. That's what he responds to. And you see that time and time again in the Psalms, don't you? That whoever it is, is just pouring out their, their heart to him in honesty. That's what God responds to, because he knows it anyway. No point hiding it. So, my challenge, it, have you ever specifically confessed your sin to God? That's my challenge. Have you asked for his forgiveness? And if not, I would suggest putting a stake in the ground today Get on your knees before God. Pour out your heart in confession. Tell somebody else what's going on. Ask him for his forgiveness. And then thank him for, the, for the, that precious gift, that precious grace. It, it frees us from hell, it frees us from shame, it frees us from guilt, it frees us from sin. It's incredible. And while, while you can't find a place on earth to hide from the consequences of what you've done, there's a reality in which your shame can be completely erased. Because of what happened on the cross, our Father God, he says, your sins will be remembered no more. It's incredible. It's an incredible promise. And because of this incredible promise, I'm coming down to land, you'll be pleased to know. In verse 8 it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And we sung about that in the first song I think this morning. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And we have this incredible good news that we can be free from guilt and shame. It's an incredible good news. The world needs to know this. 
The world needs to know that they can be free of guilt and shame. Now, have a little bit of aid. see this? <laughs> Looking forward to the bake-off next week. I'm not sure any of the creations will be quite like this, but um, that invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what I'm saying. That? That'll be better, that'll be better. <laughs> um, so if I'm just standing here and I'm having a little, little taste, Really creamy. It's amazing. Those raspberries. They're great. It's so juicy. It's so succulent. This is amazing. Mm. This is great. So I'm telling you how good it is, but you're not experiencing that. You'll never know how good it is until you taste it. And it's like that with the good news of the freedom and the forgiveness that God gives us. And we have the opportunity of inviting people to taste and see. We have the opportunity to say to people, taste and see of this incredible God who forgives our sins. It's incredible. Taste and see what it's like for you to have your guilt and shame completely taken away. And we have this, you know, don't just take my word for it, taste, taste and see. Just going to carry on worshipping and um, come down. 